All right, everyone. Welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 20 of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. I am here with my good buddy. He just got off a bender with Stinson Bennett. That was epic. How you feeling, big guy? Oh, it was the Pappy. It was the Pappy Van Winkle that that took it over the top. And then I'm um, just surprised my, my boy Stetson made it through the Good Morning America interview. He, I mean, I'll give him an A for effort, maybe a C for appearance. Uh, but yeah, yeah that was uh, rough. Yeah, not uh, not blaming him, but yeah, not, yeah, was, absolutely not. I, I would not have made that interview at all. Like there is no chance I would have made that call. So big, good on him for doing that. So here we are. It's me, Andrew Drozdak, and Thomas Bowen. We're gonna do a little season wrap. Talk about the Natty. Talk about Georgia winning their first one in forty-one years, uh, and then we'll wrap up with a little Clemson, uh, Carolina going into next season and then college football in general stories to look for to start next season. But as always, we're going to start off with my niece, Emery's favorite section, the what the world section. And Thomas, there's only one thing we can say this week, and that is what the world, why are we playing the national championship on Mondays? Why is it happening? Not, yeah. Not only on Monday, but then you've got the roughly eight thirteen, eight fifteen kickoff and Man, I'll tell you, and and I was, it was I was up way past my bedtime, and I was warning overtime, but I was not warning overtime, right? Right. And it was, uh, yeah, it was a struggle the next day for sure. And I here's the thing I don't get, like thinking of it from a marketing standpoint, or you know, advertising, whatever. I still I don't get. That. I feel like more people would watch on a Saturday at eight thirty, right? Like, yeah, and watch the entire thing. And I would have like, yeah, I watched a terrible, terrible Eagles Dallas game because I'm an Eagles fan. And we even though we had in all our backups, you know, then they crushed us. It was Saturday at 815 kick. I watched the whole darn thing, you know. Yeah. And that's the thing is. But, you know, that's prime example right there. I mean, we know that the NFL rules the world when it comes to football and you know, this time of year in the NFL, like they got Saturdays. I just, yeah, exactly. And I just, uh, it's, it's maddening. I, I, I don't like, even though the NFL is Sunday, I hate Super Bowl Sunday. Why is it not Super Bowl Saturday? Or why don't yeah. I have Monday off so I can enjoy the entire game? Or why are we not <laughs> kicking off at five? Like there's, right. just, you know, like I'm old. I have, I have job expectations, you know, like I, our pets' heads are falling off. I got a lot of things Kid. going on. So anyway, moving into the actual game and national championship, uh, Thomas, I'll kind of run through kind of my big thoughts, and then uh, I know you got some scheme stuff you want to go over. Offense for Georgia in the first half was a struggle. Uh, yeah, we we saw that difficult offensive movement or lack thereof that we saw in the SEC championship game against Alabama. Um, in that first half, and for a while there, it very much looked like, hey, it's going to be more of the same. Uh, Deja vu, yeah. And, and we're not going to be able to do a whole lot here. Stinson Bennett, again, he was shaky but not bad in the first half. Um, I think it was Herb Street who said – he was either Herb Street or Fowler said during the broadcast 
that it was clear that the Georgia quarterback coach and offensive coordinator had told him, we are not making mistakes on third down. If you don't feel like you've got a good throw, pull it in and run or throw it out of bounds. Do not put the ball at risk on third down. I thought that was very obvious. Um, Of course, Stinson, huge pass. I think it was a 40-yard touchdown pass to kind of take the lead there and start to break things open late in the fourth quarter for them. Um, Great, great throw. Um, You know, here's the thing about Stinson Bennett. I I don't – we've joked about it, and in all seriousness – at a genuine, genuinely listed 5'11", he's probably closer to 5'10", um, and a genuinely lifted, listed 197 pounds, he may be closer to 187. Um, I don't see an NFL future. I'm sure someone will give him a chance. I'm sure he'll get a chance to, to at least make a training camp, things like that. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter. He just won the first national championship at Georgia in 40 plus years. Yeah. That man's going to always have a job, always have. I instantly thought of George Rogers. I instantly thought of George Rogers and what South Carolina does with George Rogers. I felt like Stinson Bennett is, is not that he's going to need it or want it, but if he ever needs it, he's going to have that fallback of I'm the guy who did this. He was MVP of the game, you know, great story. I did not know Thomas or remember, I guess, he started as a walk-on at Georgia, mm-hmm. left, went to yeah, went to J- JC, and came back. I did not. I thought he went the traditional junior college one year and <laughs> went to Georgia. I didn't realize he like went down to the minors, so to speak, for a year to get himself you know ready. And that was I, I didn't realize that that was amazing. I knew he was the, a lifelong the, the, Georgia fan and all that, but that was amazing. Yeah, the ultimate the ultimate underdog story for sure. I mean, it is truly like you or I or one of our good friends who were just huge Gamecock fans actually, you know, leading the Gamecocks to the national championship, you know, and it's just, I, I love it for him. I will say it this way. I love this victory for Georgia's players and their coaches. I can't say the same thing about their fans. Um, <laughs> or the whole I, program I, as a whole. whole. Yeah. I got, I, I just, yeah, I can't. So getting back to the actual on field stuff, their defense, and we've said it every week and we've seen it every week. It is so insanely fast. Ridiculous. It, it is so insanely fast. Help me remember who is number sixteen on Georgia's defense. You remember off the top of your head? He's a linebacker. Uh, um, is that uh, either Nicobe Dean or Channing Tindall? Uh, I thought Tindall was forty-one. Dean seven seventeen. Anyway, whoever sixteen is, when Bolden got that throw out in the flat, he's got nothing but green grass. It looks yeah. like he's good. And then whoever that is, it was number sixteen. It wasn't Dean because Dean's done similar things. But anyway, because yeah. I remember thinking that's not even Dean and that guy's that fast. And he closed on him like a, a tiger closing on the prey. And I was like, this is insane. Uh, and it was just great. And it was good football earlier. They were hitting. They were hitting. On offense, Georgia, I love their bunch formation. And we talked about it before the game. They used it again. I heard Jimbo Fisher during the coach's broadcast piece talk about it. And how it's so difficult to defend, and how they've, you know, they saw it on tape, and that, and he actually may mention that Texas A&M used a somewhat similar formation against Bama when they beat them. I thought that was really interesting that he said okay. that. Um, so anyway, really, really impressive stuff there. You know, so great success, awesome thing. Now it's the instantly, not maybe instantly, but you start to think where's Georgia going to be next year at this time? 
And so I thought Stinson's eligibility was up, but can he come back next year? Yeah. Yeah. He's got a year left. Okay. So he could be back. So there's, you know, not necessarily a quarterback need there. Um, the big question I would say is, is your defensive coordinator who's going now landing, who's going to Oregon to go be head coach. Who's your new DC? Are you promoting Will Muschamp? Well, well, I think, um, you know, they, they, they had that code DC title in the game, but I read earlier today, I think it's official now. It's going to be Muschamp and Glenn Schumann are going to be code DCs. Got it. Okay. Now listen, all the jokes and, and I mean, earned jokes about Will Muschamp as a head coach. He has won a lot of championships as a defensive coordinator um, yes. at Texas, at LSU. I don't know if he was D.C. at LSU then, but he was on staff <clears throat> and now co-defensive coordinator at Georgia. Guy can, guy can coordinate a defense. Thomas, talk to me a little bit about the scheme of Georgia and what you saw them doing either on defense or offense. Yeah, particularly defensively, you know, we talked about going into this game, how uh, one of the things that hurt Georgia so much, in in my opinion, in our opinion, uh, in Atlanta in the SEC championship game was how conservative they were and how conventional they played defensively. And it was almost like Kirby wanted to just out talent Alabama, which, of course, you can't do. And so I said going into this game that you needed to see more creativity out of Georgia defensively. And I think we certainly saw that. They still only brought four a lot because they were respecting the back end and respecting that passing game, but they worked in a lot more twists and stunts. You and I were talking or were texting at one point in the game, and I think we we both texted each other at the exact same time, green dog blitz. Yeah, Saw some of that green dog blitz. Which, as we've talked about before, is you know you're you're you've got a linebacker on a running back, and if you're seeing he's staying in the blitz, staying in the block, you're going to blitz that linebacker. Um, I did see much like I saw in Atlanta, their a gap blitzes were still getting stuffed. They didn't have a lot of success blitzing up the a gaps in the middle. Um, did bring a lot more edge pressure, particularly on third down, which was very successful. Um, I saw a couple times where they brought not often, but a safety blitz and Bama was very opportunistic and, and Georgia got a little lucky sometimes because they tried to make them pay with that deep ball and those safety blitzes. But also how much, how how much did it hurt Bama losing Jamison Williams that early in the game, right? I mean, I was just sitting here thinking that. That was going to be the thing come out of my mouth because it's, you know, you already had to come, overcome Minchie, John, you know, losing Minchie, and you had Jamison Williams, and then he goes out. Almost at the exact same time in the game, as Minchie went out in the SEC championship game. Yeah, and the thing is, is but like when Williams was in there <clears> – <throat> Just like we also said before when we were previewing this game, I said they're probably going to put a lot of bracket yeah. coverage on Williams. That's essentially that double. And they were running the inside-out bracket on Williams, but he was still getting – he was still beating them inside, which inside-out, you want to take away the inside, right? Yep. And he was still beating them on the inside of that. So I, I would have been curious to see how they adjusted to that. Obviously, they, they didn't have to, and you hated to see him go down. Um, but really, and and I think one of the biggest keys for Georgia defensively was making Bryce Young uncomfortable yep. through two picks. That's the first time in his career he's thrown two picks yep. in a game. Yep. And I, I believe I saw they pressured Bryce Young on 47.5% of his dropbacks, which is really getting after the quarterback. 
But but really, the uh, the last thing that, that I want to say here is is going back to Stetson Bennett and and what a, a monster he was in that game. The first the first half going into the halftime, I was like, man, I think Alabama's gonna come out and just clobber him in the second half. Stetson did not look comfortable. They were getting after him uh, again. The offensive line was was our Georgia's defensive, I mean, Bama's defensive front was really getting after him. But fourth quarter, Stetson Bennett goes four for four, 83 yards and two touchdowns. That is is the stuff of legend when you talk about this walk-on kid. And then finally, mushed. We talked earlier in the season how Georgia just mushes people to death. Zamir White, first half, four yards per carry. In the second half, he was averaging six and a half yards per carry. That is mushing. Yeah, that's mushing. And, and you know, you had the um, uh, I think I sent I sent the tweet to you, the great coach 30 uh account on uh on Twitter where he's doing yeah. the home room stuff. He had a one-on-one moment with uh Cook, James Cook. You know, it's it's a situation where it was, you know, as a running back, you're taught there, hey we've got everybody else blocked. It's you on the safety. You got to make, you got to be a better athlete than him. And in most situations for Alabama, that's not going to happen, but it did in that situation, he ended up getting 50, 60 yards or something like that. And, you know, that's when I started seeing that happen, I was like, Oh, okay. The tide can turn. Cause both of these teams are really, and again, Jimbo brought this up. Both of these teams is even though they weren't dominant running teams, are dependent on the run game to set up play action. They, sure. they they build off of that. And, you know, once I started seeing Georgia get their run game going a little bit, I was like, oh, okay. Um, I will say one thing about the first half, you talked about uh, the, the A-gap blitz uh, being picked up by you, uh, Bama's A-gap blitz being picked up by Georgia, or other way around. But in a situation, Georgia picked up one and – James Cook didn't just like block the dude, the the linebacker coming in a gap. He ate his lunch. Like, oh uh, yeah, I saw that one. I rewound it like three times. I was like, that's not just blocking the blitzing linebacker. That's yeah. saying, nah, dude, you ain't blitzing today. That didn't happen. I was like, ooh, okay. So you know, big time there. So let's talk a little Bama here. We sort of mentioned it a little bit. Bryce Young, as much as Stinson Bennett, you know got a lot of heat, let's call it, for two picks in the SEC championship game. Bryce Young has, you know, had two picks in this game, a pick six that really ended things. Um, Sealed it, yeah. And, and I, I have it kind of further down my list, but I'm going to jump in and say it now. Mad respect to Nick Saban for what he did in his press conference. I don't know if you saw this, Bowen. Yeah. Him, Bryce Young, and I think it was Will Anderson. Was it Will Anderson? Yeah, Will Anderson. And he sits him down and says, hey, can I say something? This game doesn't define these two guys. You know, they are huge, important parts of this program. And, I mean, everybody thinks of Nick Saban as this Bill Belichick type of guy that's – I mean, for the lack of – Jackass. Yeah, just a lack of better term, kind of an asshole. But that goes to show he loves his players. And – you know, he's he's defending his players. And, I, you know, you hear that about coaches. This coach is a player's coach. This play, Nick Saban is a player's coach. And I think back all the way back to, I don't even remember what the context was. Years ago, they did a thing on ESPN where they followed Nick Saban and the Alabama team at his house on Lake Martin in Alabama, which is more like a castle. 
and he's <laughs> having fun with the kids. He's taking them wakeboarding, you know, skiing. They're on jet skis. They're doing the big giant blob. And I remember thinking, like, man, for a guy who comes off kind of hard nosed, these kids seem to really love him. And I wondered in that moment, is this all real or is this all staged? Right. Well, after seeing how I saw him defend his players, it's all real. And if yeah. you want to know, you can make the jokes about Bama buying players, yada, yada, yada. If you want to know what gets him recruits, that's what gets him recruits. Yeah, always be recruiting. Yeah, I mean, that's what gets him recruits right there. So you we mentioned this already. Jamison Williams getting hurt, you know, really changed this game. Um, you know, it, it, and it allowed – in my opinion, Thomas, you talked about how they got more aggressive. It allowed Georgia, uh, Georgia to get more aggressive. In my opinion, they didn't have to worry as yeah. much. You know, we don't have to sit back and, and play three and four deep. Let's go after them. And that is is a hard situation for Bama. Um, and, and, you know, you never want somebody to get hurt. I've read that he's supposed to – he did hurt his ACL, tore his ACL, but they're expecting a full recovery, you know, nothing catastrophic or anything. So – I, I certainly hope that's the case. I never want a player to get hurt. I don't care what team we're playing. Uh, I'm never somebody who wants to see a, a, a person get hurt, especially that could end your career or something like that. But that changed it. Their offensive line, man, it was struggling uh, at times against Georgia. Um, one thing I also noticed, Thomas, and I thought Georgia and Bama looked to be doing this a little bit more. You know, Georgia in particular with, with Jordan Davis used a true nose so often during the, the, the season. It looked to me like they had more of a four-man front and, and a, yeah. a two-tackle approach with a linebacker up as kind of that buck-type standing defensive end. And I was surprised by that, um, but you know, you know, changed a little bit there. And I th- and they've alternated around. They don't always play that true three man front nose on the on the center and a zero and and two tackles out on the guards or outside arms of the guards there. But I did notice that. Um, Bama again. I mentioned it earlier. They struggled in the run game. They struggled in the run game, and it was. I mean. We talked about with their bowl game or their semifinal game, they uh, Brian Robertson uh, Robertson Jr. went off, and he didn't against Georgia. And it when you can't run the football, and so much of your passing game is predicated on that, then it's going to be a struggle. And it was a struggle. And you're exactly right. UGA made Bryce Young look the most uncomfortable I've seen him look all year even in the texas a&m game he didn't look like that right. um so bowen what is, what were some schematic things you saw with bama yeah and you know defensively uh, particularly that you know this was kind of the the tale of two games here you know bama looked pretty dominant for the most part in the first half and then it really wasn't until the fourth quarter like you said really with about eight minutes to go when Bennett threw that dime to, to Mitchell to make it 1918 that it wasn't really until then that that the tide kind of changed and and Georgia took off there but so for much of that game Bama's defensive line was was dominating Georgia's offensive line particularly in pass protection I noticed that uh, was giving them a lot of fits and but I did notice they Bama really turned the heat up on Stetson and were really getting after him. I noticed they were bringing a lot of simulated pressures and mug fronts. Whenever we talk about mug fronts, 
the, particularly the way that Bama does it is you, you watch them, they'll walk the linebackers down right over the guards. When they do this, it spreads the defensive ends out yep. and forces the offensive line into man protection. Yep. So it was a lot of things to, to confuse the protection scheme, which they were successful at, to really make Bennett uncomfortable, which they did for three, three and a half quarters, really. Um, but I, I really think the, the biggest trouble probably – that that Georgia had from an offensive line standpoint was some of Bama's most successful blitzes were crossfire blitzes. Sometimes mm-hmm. they would cross with the linebackers in the middle. Sometimes it'd be a defensive tackle and a linebacker. Now, the, the thing about crossfire blitzes, as you know, as an offensive guy, the defense can get badly out leveraged on out outside zone, pin and pull, any of those perimeter runs. But Bama was really smart about it because they would get them behind the sticks, get them in third down, surefire passing situations, and that's when they brought those blitzes. And they were very successful with them. And, uh, again, a cross dog like a green dog is a little delayed. And and as an offensive lineman, that can be really hard. That can be really hard because you're trying to protect – pick up your protection, look at what you got to do. And, and so you got this tackle and he sort of slants across your face, but you don't see, usually when that happens, you see the backer coming immediately. Right. So you know, okay, I got to pass this guy off, pick up that backer, or I stick to this guy, my back, my, I, you know, so-and-so's got this guy dependent on the responsibility there. But when it's slow played like that, it's almost harder because then as a guard and a, and a center and another guard, you're like, okay, he's moving. He's, he's going to my outside shoulder. He's kind of going to B gap. Is somebody coming in a, or is he just drifting? And if you get asleep, you know, so to speak, and you, you don't see all of a sudden, especially as fast as these linebackers that these two teams have are all of a sudden he's in your grill and it's too late. He's a better athlete than you. And it doesn't, you know, you can't get in front of him and, you know, it was two very well planned defensive schemes. Like there's yes. absolutely no doubt about that. And I mean, not that that's surprising in the least, you know, with two coaches like Kirby Smart and Nick Saban and then the defensive coordinator at Georgia with, with landing and, and of course, Will Muschamp involved. Who's the DC at Bama now? Uh, Pete Golding. He just kind of looks like he, they p- picked him up off the side. He's a frat dude. Like I'm yeah. pretty sure Nick's just calling plays and he's got widespread panic going in his headset. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, they had, a, if he is involved, they had a good, both teams had a really, really good steam. And it really kind of came down to who made the mistakes and who made more of them. You know, Stinson had a bad fumble, uh, but, you know, Bryce Young, two picks, that one pick that turned into a pick six, that sealed it. It was over. It was over. And, and you know, as a quarterback, you hate that. You know, that you, you you never want to be, you know, you never want to miss a pass that could win you the game, but getting picked in it, being a pick six, that's just awful way to lose. And Yeah, and, and I feel like his his two pick, particularly that last pick that was the nail in the coffin. And I can't I can't remember all the details about the first one, but I feel like both are definitely that last one were they weren't necessarily his fault. They looked like option routes that that he was not on the same page because somebody broke a wrong way. So I, I'm not going to put it entirely on him. Well, it did because you, when you looked at the second one in particular, you had two Bama receivers very close to one another in that picture. Yeah. So somebody – you shouldn't have that – the spacing should not be that close. And so that – you know, you can essentially cover two guys with one in that situation – 
And that's as an offense, the last thing you want. So I feel like somebody ran the wrong route. Um, and you're right. It could have been a, a option route or read route, you know, whatever. And it just didn't get, didn't get communicated. Well, um, go ahead. Sidebar is uh, because I was like, let, I, I wanted to confirm that was Pete Golding. And yeah, you want to talk about somebody that came out of nowhere. I I, I, I knew this was guy's name. He's 37 years old, but he basically came up as far as coaching Delta State, Tusculum College, Delta State, Southeastern Louisiana, Southern Miss, and then Bama. Yeah. So Nick obviously saw something in this guy. I'm, Nick saw, hey man, stand on the sideline, wear a headset. We'll look. We'll make you look good for a little while. I'm calling plays. You just stay yeah. out of my way, son, and just listen <laughs> and learn from me, as everybody else on my staff should do. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, Bama's going to be back. Bama, you know, obviously Bryce Young is is a very young player. Was he a redshirt freshman? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, and, and then they have the recruiting class and all the things they have. And Will Anderson's back too. Oh, sorry, forgot about him. No yeah. big deal there. Just the best defender <laughs> in college football. Um, so I mean, you know, this wasn't a one and done for for Bama, and we knew that. So this is way off in left field. To my recollection, has anybody who doesn't wear Nike won the national championship in recent times? I guess Auburn. I was going to yeah. say Auburn because they're Under Armour. Under Armour, but I mean, anybody else? No, but I mean, it's not saying a whole lot because you look at the the. It's not a really diverse group of sure. teams that have won that. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I see what you're saying. It was just interesting to me because you know Nike when they when their teams play in the national championship, the swoosh is like like almost elevated more. Does that make sense? And it's usually metallic yeah. looking, and it's like coming off the jersey, and I just. I always noticed that because I'm a, a, a Jersey nerd and like, I'm, I was like, man, they both have that. And then I was like, dang, that was the case last year and last year. And I started there. I was like, I think it's been the case every year, except for maybe when Auburn went. Um, so yeah, just interesting there. That's just me being a, a Jersey nerd. So it, I will say this, Thomas, as much as the semifinals has have, have continued to let us down as exciting games, the national championship has been pretty doggone good. Multiple yeah, this times. one was fantastic. This, this was a great game. This was a great game and just, you know, great. I, I love it. Um, you know, it, again, congratulations, Georgia. Bama will be back. Um, it was just – but here's the thing that was clear. Here's the thing that was clear in my opinion. Those were the two best teams in football. For sure. Could could Ohio State have had you know if you expanded the playoffs and Ohio State had a great Rose Bowl could they have played that good against Georgia and Alabama or knocked one of those two guys out possibly possibly even the New England Patriots in, in the NFL and their dynasty Tom Brady I've been watching his Man in Arena on stuff on uh, ESPN Plus if you're not watching that it's awesome um, he talks about the fact that there were a couple times they won the Super Bowl and they they weren't the best team in football. So it's not always the best team, but I do like the fact that these two teams were the best in college football. And I mean, Georgia's been dominant since day one. The one game they looked vulnerable in was the one game they lost, and that was Alabama. And so to have this, this you know, rematch was really pretty cool. I know there's SEC haters all over the nation outside of the Southeastern Conference, but I mean, you can't tell me those weren't two of the best, the two best football teams in college football, and that they didn't deserve to be there. 
Yeah, true championship, which is what what everybody wants. People, you know, but that they like to see things mixed up. And hey, we got it this year. We got some new blood in there. Yeah. And look what happened. Here we are in the finals. But again, as long as it was a good game, and and I thought it was fantastic. I absolutely agree with you. All right, so we're going to switch gears completely. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the the, the next football season. Uh, we, you know, for fans who may be listening for the first time, we do typically what we do is we talk about the South Carolina Gamecock football game, the Clemson uh, football game, and a game of the week. So in a kind of a similar manner, we're going to talk about South Carolina's outlook for next season, Clemson's outlook for next season, and then kind of an overall college football outlook for the 2022 season. So Thomas, South Carolina's momentum since the bowl game could not be any stronger right now. Um and really, when you think about it, you, I mean, you know, we could go back and listen to it. It was not very strong after that Clemson game. Uh, no. You know, I mean, it was at an all-time, not an all-time low, but pretty doggone low. The turnaround with the bowl win and the performance in the bowl game, the dominant performance, and now the recruiting gets and the portal gets have, as Gamecock fans, you and I are both those, and, uh, you know, we're not, we've never hidden that on the show you got to be excited for 2022 and the potential of what could come. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, Beamer and company have just, just rated the transfer portal and I've gotten some really good gets. I I had a massive brain fart the other day when I was texting with, with you and some buddies that I, I heard we had gotten a Wake Forest running back. I didn't realize that we gotten Beale Smith. I mean, that was Wake's leading rusher. So that's, that's a good get not to mention He's a grad transfer. This is his last year of eligibility. So he's coming here expecting to play, right? You know, Absolutely. he wants to play. Um, so with him, Juju, Marshawn Lloyd, running backs look good. Quarterback room looks really good. I mean, n- n- leaving out, not even talking about Rattler and what he brings, but you've got Tanner Bailey coming in, the number six pocket passer, Braden Davis, number seven dual threat. I mean, there's there's a lot of things to be excited about. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I've followed um, – I started following Spencer Rattler on uh, Instagram. And, man, you know, a lot of athletes post their workout stuff and all that kind of stuff. He's putting in work. He's putting in work and, and, you know, I think he's on campus now, you know, he, he was, you know, working out private with his private workout guy. I mean, he was like sparring with dudes and doing some boxing stuff. And then you'd see him. I love the drill. I saw him doing where they were throwing over the back of, or the front, I should say of a soccer goal. So they had to get a good loft on the ball, but also get it to drop in the, it was really good drill. I thought about, you know, with their, uh, you know, having good arc on the ball so you don't get it knocked down, stuff like that. I mean, you're exactly right. Even if you took Spencer Radler off the table, which I, I don't want to do. I mean, he's, he's you know, a great quarterback that we are super lucky to have. The the room itself looks good, um, you know, and, and it's just going to be very, very interesting to see there. I mean, obviously he's, he's got to be your, your penciled in starter for, for obvious reasons. And, yeah. you know, um, but it will be great to see what he does in the spring, which brings me to um, our offensive side of the ball in general, uh, you know, much maligned by us, maybe fairly or unfairly or whatever the case may be. Marcus Satterfield, offensive coordinator for South Carolina, every single um uh, thing you read or see says he's coming back and he's going to be the offensive coordinator next year. You know, here's my biggest thing about this. There are lots of examples of, of 
coaches and schemes that look awful that first year, and then you get the right guys in and, and you get the right depth and it, it clicks. I sincerely, sincerely want that to happen. You know, I, I don't have any sort of personal vendetta against Marcus Satterfield. And as a Gamecock fan, I want Carolina's offense to look good and score points and help us win games. Here's my biggest thing. We just mentioned the quarterback room, wide receiver, has had some transfer ins that have been really good. Still, maybe be at, might be adding another. I know they're looking at Kobe uh, Hudson, who's transferring out of Auburn. Um, obviously, you brought in uh, Austin Stogner from Oklahoma at tight end. You have Jaheim Bell. Josh Van is coming back. You have some guys that showed some development. I say all that to say, and you mentioned the running back room. I say all that to say this whole the cupboard is bare argument does not exist anymore. Yeah, it's done. And, and, and now the offensive line has to develop. The offensive line has to get better. And I think there's a lot of potential there. I and really, I think they all, they're all back, right? Yes, they are. Yes, yeah. they are. And, and, you know, guys, just if any of y'all listen to this show, we heard a lot about communication issues. What I want y'all to do in the summer is I want y'all to go out, all five of you, and find some really loud music and y'all work on your signals and like <laughs> really communicate some good stuff. Like play a game of telephone, whatever it takes. I need you guys to be able to read each other's lips and like go because I just, I can't hear that anymore. Um, but they got to, they, you know, in all seriousness, they, they do need to develop. And I'm sure they know that. I'm sure they know that. I mean, they, they aren't, you know, as much as players and coaches say, I don't read the internet. I don't, I don't look at the message boards and I don't know if they look at message boards. I don't look at social media. They do. They do. Yeah. And they're, and, human. And they're human beings. And listen, I hope I, as a first year, when you're a first year of anything, going back to Marcus Satterfield, I'm so glad that when I was a first year elementary school principal, there weren't message boards of people talking about what I was doing or me having to answer a press conference every afternoon to talk about my day. Um, so I, I, I believe and want to believe, I believe this, I believe Shane Beamer is, has shown that he is a smart football coach and very aware. And if he thought Marcus Satterfield could not do this or it was going to hold his success back, I don't think he'd have brought him back. You know, there's the jokes about he was in his wedding and yada, yada, yada. I don't care. Like, Thomas, I love you, man. We've been friends for a long, long time. But if you were my D.C. at South Carolina and I was the head coach and the D.C. and the defense sucked and I thought it was your problem, I'm going to come in there and say, hey, man, I love you, but we're going to have to go in another direction. For sure. Yeah. And, and so I just you got to believe that. Moving into the defense, um, you know, big recruiting get. There was Stone Blanton at linebacker. That was a huge swing getting him. He was originally – people were thinking Mississippi or Mississippi State? Uh, I think Miss State. Okay. And and to get that, play the long game there and end up getting that him was huge. I can't remember the Irmo safety's name because it's a very difficult last name, but he was another good get. And they've gotten some guys in the transfer portal again that are going to help. And you bring back Cam Smith. And you bring back those guys. Thomas, what are your thoughts on Carolina's defense going into the next season? I, I like it. I particularly like, um, I guess we'll have Jordan Strawn and one of the defensive ends. Um, we've got, um, then you've got Sandage, Pickens, um, Birch. I mean, yeah, Birch. And then 
Sherrod Green. I think we really missed Sherrod Green this year because he went down, what, in the Georgia game, I believe, early in the year. So we'll get him back. Um, I, I, I think there's there's a lot there's a lot to like there as well coming back defensively. And I think another year under Clayton White's system will, will just do even more for this defense. So there's a lot of talent there, and I'm looking forward to kind of seeing what this defense can do next year. Absolutely. And I do know, obviously, if you're a Gamecock fan, you know there is one coach they're going to have to replace that we know of right now. Mike Peterson is going uh, going home to Florida. He's a Florida player and grad there and can't blame a guy for that. And um, done some good things. I got all the faith in the world in, in Shane Beamer and Clayton White to find a good coach to fill that spot. Um, but that is one change over there. So, Thomas, you know, obviously a much different feeling going into this next football season for South Carolina football than at the beginning of this year. You know, there was hope. It's a new coach. That's exciting. But everything was sort of, you know, a little bit held back. Like, yeah, I think Shane's a great guy. It's going to take time. It's going to take time, you know. And so there wasn't a lot of – and I don't know that there's a whole lot of expectations fairly anyway or reasonably yet. But you won seven games. you got to expect your fan base and your boosters and and everybody else – to think seven, eight wins is is on the table very much, especially with getting a guy like Spencer Radler, who I saw on the most recent Vegas like um, line for winning the Heisman. He's like fifth or sixth. So, you know, still, still a really highly thought of player. And also, Thomas, I think you were the one who pointed this out to me. Carolina was listed in uh, ESPN's way too early, as they like to call it, top 25 at the 25th spot. You know, again, not a major thing, but I'm sure we were nowhere near that last year at this time. So yeah, uh, it's a different feeling as Gamecock fans. So that, that's got to be good, you know, and, and it's fun. It's fun. It's fun to get excited for spring ball and, and still there's still some recruiting to happen. So there is still the normal National Signing Day in February. Yeah. I, I don't know who else is left to be signed, but it, <laughs> it's it's there. Um so that'll be interesting. There's still some transfer guys out there. I will say this, speaking uh, of scheme and stuff, you know, one of the people that supposedly South Carolina is interested in is the Southern Cal tight end as well with, uh, I think his last name is Diggs, Tiggs. I can't remember. Sure. He's 6'4", 230-ish range. It seems to me that in my mind, what I'm seeing a, a development that Marcus Satterfield wants to bring is a multiple tight end, 12 personnel, 13 personnel packages. And we, like saw, we saw a good bit of that against UNC. And so I think, and maybe that's what they were hoping EJ uh, Jenkins was going to be, um, but move him out to wide receiver. Apparently uh, coach Mo and uh, Charles uh, Johnson, you know, Megatron are buddies from his time in Detroit, can he come down to Columbia and work with EJ a little bit on how to be a great big wide receiver? <laughs> You're the best ever to do it, Megatron. Please, please come talk to him. All right, Thomas, what you got any final thoughts on South Carolina? No, let's get into Clemson. All right, let's talk Clemson. So we've touched on this already. The biggest thing they got to figure out is turnover at the coordinator spots and transfers leaving, leaving those magical hills, Thomas. What, what are your two biggest things you're seeing there in thoughts about Clemson? 
Yeah, I think I'm really uh, one of the things I'm really looking forward to is I want to see this offense next year and how it evolves or if it does evolve under Streeter. I think Streeter is going to is going to get the running backs and tight ends more involved in the passing game, but they've got a lot of big key losses to overcome. Justin Ross wide receiver is gone. Skalski, who's been the middle linebacker for 13 years, He's gone. Spectre beside him, Nolan Turner on the back end. And then their pair of, I know at least one of them was all ACC cornerbacks, Goodrich and Booth. They're both going to the league as well. So, but then they get Brian Brzee back on the defensive front, who was like all ACC freshman. He blew out his knee earlier this year. Um, so uh, I'll be interested to see how the defense is, but the offense is more intriguing to me, and I think Clemson still needs to find a true slot wide receiver. They need that Renfro. Well, and and you talk about the evolution of their offense. I think, in my opinion, it may – and I say this because it, it sounds bad. I think it may be a de-evolution. I think you're going to see a, a return of how things may have looked more under Chad Morris, in my opinion. Es- essentially, especially – and maybe more so if DJ is the starter, which it's crazy to think about, isn't written in stone right now. Right, um, yeah. You know, you got some very talented guys coming into Clemson. Could he be a Kelly Bryant that gets, uh, you know, replaced, usurped by a, you know, freshman QB middle of the year, thir- three or four games in? You know, he came in highly, highly recruited, superstar recruit, you know, whatever the case may be. So it's going to be interesting. Um, but I say all that to say, I like I said in, in our, our show about the bowl game, I saw more of that Chad Morris, Gus Malzahn version of this offense where the yeah. QB was much more involved in the running game. And quite honestly, if it is DJ, as big and strong as he is, he, he should be. Um, yeah. So, you know, maybe he's not right now a drop back passer and, and pick apart defenses. So that'll be interesting. There is obviously – Still a lot of talent at Clemson. They still have a high, uh, you know, high ranking in recruiting and had guys that were still there that have stayed, even though some have transferred out. Thomas, do you consider Clemson, and I really, really thought hard about this question, do you consider Clemson still in 2022 the team to beat in the ACC? Yeah, but they're 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 standing at, on the on one foot at the top of that hill because right. you've got people like you've got the the NC states now nipping at their heels right. and and Florida State Miami's not going to be far behind them so they 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 got to keep it going and 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 get two feet planted on top of that hill to remain there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're the gap is closing. It feels mm-hmm. like, you know. Um, Whereas, you know, Alabama was always – there was a it was Alabama, a football field, and everybody else. You know, obviously Georgia completely closed that gap, at least for one night, and there's others coming. But, uh, you know, the other question is, I think, was it been 11 years in a row that Dabo's won 10 or more games or something? I think like so, that? something like that. You know, quite dominant, quite dominant. I hate to even say that, but it's just the facts of the statistics. I don't know that begin because they still are the the team to beat uh, in the ACC. Is that streak in danger? Is can they win? Can they do they slip up enough and win nine games? You know, eight games. I don't know. It the thing about dynasties is a lot of times the the prediction of their fall is much too soon. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like oh it, yeah, it doesn't collapse as quickly as as other fans us 
you know, ACC football fans would like to see. Um, right. So is this a blip on the radar and they go right back and they're in the playoff or whatever? Time will tell. I do, I do say that their foundation, particularly with defense, is now a lot less firm. You know, Brent Hannibal's yeah. is now in Norman, Oklahoma, and he's not calling plays and he's not stealing signals. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm just serious. Couldn't and, resist. And, um, you know, so that'll be interesting to see. All right, so now let's just kind of talk college football as a whole. Thomas, in thinking about next season, and, and it is obviously way too early to predict all this, but just based on the most recent things we've seen, I got to be honest with you, I would not be shocked if Ohio State is listed as the number one team preseason. What are your thoughts on that statement? Preseason, yeah, I, I can see that. Um, they bring back a, a boatload of talent, I think, we saw near the end of this year, they, they got their defensive woes figured out. Uh, hell, they got their offense figured out as well. They, they were clicking down the stretch. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's fair to say. But, but you know, it's going to be that top four, if you will. It's going to be some, some smattering of them and Bama and Georgia, and then take your pick, Michigan. I don't know what they bring back, but right. so it's it's it, it it won't be it won't be too shocking of a of a top four preseason. Yeah, I agree with you there. I just in thinking of you know Georgia has a lot to replace potentially, even yeah. even with Bennett coming back, and and they have stud quarterback recruits coming in too. So even if you know there's there's still a lot of guys to replace on that team. Um, you know, so the defending champ is always the champ until they're beat, so to speak. But, uh, you know, they're they're going to be hard-pressed. Now, are they going to be a bad football team? Absolutely not. But are they going to be playing for the national championship back-to-back years? I, I don't know. But we have time. There's no – there's no, you know, we don't know that for certain. Um, you already hit on Bama. I think they're going to be very, very highly thought of, and, and rightfully so. They do need some development at the wide receiver spot because we've seen that, you know, they're young there now. Um, doesn't mean they won't get them there. Um, you know, Georgia, uh, Georgia and, and Alabama and, and Ohio state of the world, they don't rebuild, they reload. So, oh, yeah. you know, they'll, they'll, their offense, nobody cry for Alabama. Their offense is going to be just fine. Of course, they're returning the Heisman trophy candidate, uh, winner, I should say in Bryce Young, by the way, did you see, it was really funny. Uh, I saw on Twitter. So Bryce during like one of the pregame, you know, how they always do the stories on players, on the entirely too long pregame show, he at one point sort of sort of alludes to that he was like questioned coming out of high school that some 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 schools didn't think he was you know highly thought of. He was a five star like nine point nine four nine nine rating. Like I think it was 247 Sports like retweeted. Please tell us who was doubting you. Who doubted you? Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't think anybody was. You're not 6'4", 250, but no one was going, ah, I don't know if this guy can do it. Um, okay. So, anyway, I just thought that was funny. I think the biggest story of college football in 2022 is going to be new head coaches. Um, you've got some programs, some per- perennial programs with new coaches. Marcus uh, Freeman at uh, at Notre Dame. He you know, had a pretty good bowl game, let it slip away. Be interested to see what he can do with that team. His former boss, Brian Kelly, down in LSU, um, you know, with his terrible accent, which hopefully he'll never try again. Um, 
how quickly can he get things going down there? The before mentioned Brent Venables, easy for me to say, at Oklahoma. Oklahoma has had everybody transfer out. Yeah. You know, like clearly there were some Lincoln Riley guys, you know, and whatnot that that'll be interesting. Yeah. So, so let me ask you this of, of, of these, these new coaches, these uh, for next year, who are you most interested in seeing how they do? I, I mean, who, who are you most interested in week one? You want to see this coach? Like I'm worried that it might be a disaster or no, just you're most intrigued by it. You want to see how they do good or bad. I mean, honestly, I, I would say Marcus Freeman is the one that, that intrigues me the most just because the players are so excited Um, and I heard something very interesting where during their bowl game where he sort of talked about how he's obviously always wanted to be a head coach. He wasn't quite, you know, jumping for the opportunity quite yet type thing. And then it's here. So of course he's not going to turn it down. And I was like, wow, I would never have said out loud, Hey, I'm not sure I'm ready for this, (laughs) right? you know, and, and especially not at Notre Dame. So, you know, that is interesting to me. And I, I, I like a guy that the fan, that the, the team really wants to be the guy who was the defensive coordinator or whatever the case may be. And the one I'm looking at as a train wreck potential is your guy that you love. I'm being sarcastic, Billy Napier down in Gamesville. Yeah. Yeah. Old Napes, yeah, I think uh, be interested to see what what happens down so there. Who who intrigues you the most? Uh, for me, it's, it's it's Venables for sure, and and the main reason it's Venables is because I think if he can be that CEO and still have those dominant defenses, I think Venables could be one of the next premier up and coming college coaches. If if he can do that and still have those defenses, that's why I'm most intrigued by him. Yeah, I absolutely could see that for sure. Now, another guy, obviously, Lincoln Riley, we've mentioned him a few times. He's in Southern Cal, at, at SoCal in, in California. How quickly is he turning that around? Now, granted, if Caleb Williams, it seems, might be going to, uh, uh, you know, Southern Cal, you know, his quarterback knows his system, so that helps. Um, yeah. How quickly – and the Pac-12 is is not great. No, it was there for the taking. He's so, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if he won the Pac-12 his first year. Especially I mean. now that um, Mario Cristobal is in Miami. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, nothing. No. No. No um, disrespect to Landing going down to to Oregon, but he's going to have to. You know, it's it's going to take time. It's a new coach. It's a new regime. You don't just you know have a new head coach and nothing happens. You yeah. know, um, so that'll be interesting. And I don't have this question on our notes, Thomas, but it is something that just kind of popped in my head and then we'll kind of wrap things up. How much longer do you think we have Nick Saban as a head coach? Is is he going to be a guy like a Bobby Bowden that coaches till his, till it, they basically run him out because things have declined or I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't <laughs> think he will let it get to that point, but I do think that, He's got a lot more juice left in the tank, particularly just because he's shown over the last five, eight plus years, he is willing to adapt and change and get with the times. It's the, it's the coaches that won't do that are the ones that they basically have to shove out the door. I agree with that. And you're exactly right. When you think about the the beginning of this run of Alabama's dominance, return to dominance in the 2000s, those offenses originally was that 
three yard in a cloud of dust, a game manager at quarterback, don't turn it over, son, let the defense win the game. We're going to give a, our running back the ball. They spread it around and throw it and wing it all over the place now. So you're exactly right there. I just – he is so detail-oriented and yeah. so tightly wound. I just wonder, like, is it going to get to a breaking point? Um, you know, but he loves football, so I do see that. Um, you know, I definitely don't see him trying to make another NFL run. I think he, he nah. did that one time and said, yeah, I'm out. I'm good. Um, you know, one guy, somebody brought this up on somewhere on the internet, Dan Mullen. We haven't heard his name anywhere. So does he just think he's head coach or nothing? Is he not willing to be an OC again? Is he trying to go to the NFL? Like what? I just wonder what's going on there. I mean, he's a weird dude. I, I Yeah. Yeah. He's weird. I think he's, I, I think he's just well you know he was he, he's done some some broadcast stuff and i saw him on some pregame stuff the other night but i think he's pro- probably just kind of weighing his options I don't, I don't think he's going to do anything immediately but uh you know i i don't know he's is i mean there there's a lot of schools that would love to have him as a coach but it's just a matter of does he want to deal with that or does he want to give the nfl a shot and there's plenty of offensive staff so i'm not saying he could be immediately an oc in the nfl but there's plenty of staff that would give him a shot yeah, I agree with you. All right, Thomas. So if you had to kind of give a grade to this season overall of college football, what grade would you give it? And I'm gonna um, I'm gonna say a, a a solid B plus if if I mean maybe even an A minus, honestly. Yeah. I, I'd be in the same boat, you know, as as much as it was fun to have Georgia be that dominant team, I, I kind of always enjoy it more where there's like a dog fight. You know, who's mm-hmm. number one, who's better. Um, you know, Bama losing to Texas AM was an interesting situation there. Uh, it was great to just have regular football after what we had the season before. Hopefully that continues um to be the case next season. Um, all right. Well, it's been a heck of a good college season. So we will take about a two-week break and we'll come back uh and talk a little offseason, try and get some guests on the show. Also talk a um, little NFL playoff, maybe Super Bowl. We're more college-oriented here, but we'll touch on that. Um, as always, if you want to follow us on social media, we are at SAA Football Fan, at SAA Football Fan. And uh, on social, on uh, Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, we are the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. Also, coming up on March the 4th, we have the third annual Gene Hendricks Drawsdack Memorial Fund Golf Tournament at uh, the Spur at Northwoods, if you're in South Carolina and the Midlands area. That tournament is to help raise money for multiple myeloma. It is the uh, disease that my mother passed away of three years ago. Thomas has played in the both two. It's a good event. It's a lot of fun. If you're a golfer and you'd like to be a part of it, um, you can find information on Facebook about that with the Gene Hendricks Drawsdak, D-R-O-Z-D-A-K, Facebook page. Or you can email uh, that organization, which I'm uh, obviously the president of, uh, at jhdmemorialfund at gmail.com. Thomas, tell the people anything you'd like to wrap it up for a couple weeks. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I'm going into the to the depressive days that college football is over for another few months. And I guess we'll just have to wait for spring ball to get our fix. That's I've enjoyed fun. it, man. Yeah, man. Good times. And we'll talk to everybody soon. See you.